This is CliffCentral.com. Welcome to Global Leadership Platform, Leadership Masterclass, Multiplying Leaders, Moving Society. I'm Adrian Grunewald. It's wonderful to be with you. For all things leadership, go to leadershipplatform.com. One word, two Ps in the middle. For our Leadership Masterclass today, we've got Angelique de Toy. She's been on a few times before, but it's a very timeless because she's brought out a third book, I believe. She's an author, speaker, unique brand ambassador, and we're most proud of the fact that she's a global contributor on the Global Leadership Platform app, which is a new invention and growing. So, Angelique, it's good to have you with me on the platform. Thanks, Adrian. Always a pleasure. We're sitting here in a wonderful hotel. What's it called? The Ivory Manor Boutique Hotel. Just a lovely place. It's like a gem in the middle of an ordinary suburb almost, isn't yes. it? Yes. We actually call it a home away from home because uh, they make you feel so welcome. The staff is so incredibly well-trained. And uh, they just bend over backwards to meet your needs. So uh, mm-hmm. it's a real pleasure. We had about 50 people show us our parking bay. Yes, as you go, yeah, and go around the Yes, and they're white gloves and yeah. they're very professional. I love very it. Nice. Angelique, so this is the leadership platform. You have written at least three books that I'm aware of. Um, is that right? Just quickly the titles? Yes, it is. The first one was called Standing Tall in a Falling World. And the second one, What in the World Are You Waiting For? And this third one is called Turn It Around, Shifting Perceptions in a Changing World. Johan, the word world keeps coming in there. It sure does. And, and uh, the reason for that is because there is so much going on in our world. And I think so many people are asking themselves, where do I fit in, mm. in the chaos? You know, what is leadership all about? And where does it start? And, uh, you know, for me, it's always about life leadership before it's about any other form of leadership. And uh, that's what the three books really are about and have thoroughly enjoyed the process. Did you ever think you would become almost like a professional author? You know, Adrian, it's an amazing thing and an incredible question that you ask because I'm an uneducated woman. I had to leave school in standard six uh, with absolutely no form of high school education, a big world out there, not knowing how I was even going to make my way. And I believe what makes my writing so authentic is the fact that I have proven to myself that you don't need the titles, the accolades, the silver spoon, the finance. You don't need any of that. Internal transformation is something that happens on the inside. And I believe that's where true leadership really begins, where you start to carve a pathway through one way and one way only. And that is changing the way that you think. And it was in the process that I went through about shifting my perceptions about myself, about life, about people that created opportunity for me to bring my gifts to the fore. And all of us have talents, gifts, abilities, Mm. skills, but many of them lie dormant. And that's why I wrote, what in the world are you waiting for? What has got to happen? You know, people say, well, when I have my third degree, then I'll go and do something. And that's not what it's all about. It's really about the internal transformation that has the external impact. So to answer your question, did I think I was going to be a published author? Probably not. Am I delighted I am? Absolutely, because I believe I've connected with a very deep passion of mine. I love words, and uh, it's a beautiful vehicle of communication to shift people's hearts, change their minds, get them to a high way of thinking. I, I wanted to touch on that, your background, because that's part of the inspiration is the fact that you come from a place that it wasn't all that obvious that you would end up where you are today, or you, you haven't ended up yet. You're still on your way. Indeed. But you mentioned it very quickly in that conversation. Standard six or grade eight. Eight, that's right. Um, what else about your background would have convinced 
many that you would never get to this point. The I fact that you don't have degrees, the yes. fact that you don't come from a probably a wealthy family. I mean, there's a lot of odds against you. Mm. And perhaps it's only in reading what in the world are you waiting for that, you know, people see the bigger picture because um, not only did I have no education, but I went to 13 schools from grade one to standard six, which is just, you know, life impacting in the negative sense mm. that you have no stability, no sense of relationship building. My life was driven by fear. Uh, there were many things I witnessed as a child, just even in the home. Um, you know, I, I keep talking about standing on the shoulders of my mother because she was a woman who lived in very difficult circumstances with a volatile man, a very aggressive, a very unpredictable man that is who my father was. And uh, it, it left me with many misconceptions about life. But she was my rock. She was the one that showed me it didn't matter how difficult things became, you never ever give up. It doesn't matter how many challenges you face, you just keep putting one foot in front of the other. But mm -hmm. it no doubt had its um, effects on me, um, Adriana. And at the age of 21, I suffered what I believe many people are suffering, suffering with today. And that was the deepest, darkest depression of my life. I was driven by fear. I was driven by negative emotion. The world was a very dark place. How long me. did that last? Was it a few months or a few? I would say it lasted a good six months, uh, so much so that one of my biggest fears was that I would end up uh, in a home, in a white padded cell, in a jacket that would strap me up and keep me from society because the thoughts that were going on in my head were terrifying. And, of course, as I've realized um, in my own learnings in, in life, you know, it's post-traumatic stress disorder in, in the extreme. And so with the result of that, um, at the age of 21, I found myself in a place of merely existing and contemplating death, believing that there was no future, believing that there was no hope until the second woman uh, entered my life. And she's another woman upon whose shoulders I'm standing. And uh, she introduced me to the Lord and said to me, you know, you need hope and you need salvation and you really need restoration in your life. And that's where I learned about the power of forgiveness and how important it is. And, you know, these are leadership principles. We can't lead people while our own souls are filled with bitterness and anger and hatred because that will come out in our leadership style. And so that for me was really a revolution, a spiritual revolution so, in yeah, my life. You are literally the opposite of that now, embracing life. I mean... I'm not going to dig into that, but we all, no matter how, in what good place we are, we still have those insecurities always competing inside mm -hmm. of us, but we overcome them. And you're the total opposite. You embrace life, you travel, you live, you work, you're passionate. I mean, if we could draw up a list of the opposites, namely what you were like in your background and where you are today, it really would be the opposites. I mean, it, it total different person but in essence then what you're saying is we can all make it Indeed. and you're saying it not just based on your writings you're saying it based on your own personal life experience that no matter where you come from how dark how underprivileged how whatever it may be you can follow your dreams and change and forgive and become and achieve what you want to Absolutely. And, and, you know, I, I believe that one of the highest accountabilities I hold myself to in my own writing is that I must have lived through what I'm writing about. It, that for me gives it authenticity. It's believable. 
it means it can be done. And so the principles that I write about, I know that they work. So I'm not expecting someone to read my book and do a rah-rah and a yes, I can and 50 affirmations a day. I know without doubt that what I have written in those three books and I have proven that you can turn it around. And so what for me is absolutely vital is if I take everything into account, I want the person who gets hold of one of my books to be able to say, if this is possible for her with her background, it's infinitely possible for me. But there is a responsibility on the part of the person who's reading the book. So that's the essence of your three books, the message you want to get across. I mean, every book has its own content, but would you say that's the essence of what you want to get across in all three books? It is. It is absolutely that. Is how do we stand tall when it feels like everything around us is falling upon us? How do we make the move and go into what is our future, our destiny, our purpose, what we've been created for? So what in the world are you waiting for? And then what do you need to do to turn it around, to change your perception? To a higher perspective Because our lives are driven by our perceptions You know, if I believed for my life With all of my background That I could never achieve anything Because after all, I've only got a standard six I didn't come from any form of education Or any form of structure That gave me any clue That I could accomplish something in life If I believed that for my entire life I promise you I wouldn't be sitting here today So yes, the way we perceive Is the way we receive And I do write very deeply about that In my books Now before we look at a little bit more uh, uh, Meat in your books Um about perspective and, and, and lots of other important principles. You've been hanging around Italy a lot. Uh, we yes. were talking about in the car on the way here. Uh, some of that comes into the book as well, and we'll touch on that a little bit mm-hmm. later. But uh, what takes you there? Well, we have been skiing for a number of years as a family and um, tried a couple of places, and then someone suggested we try Italy. And I just didn't put the two together that you you know would go to Italy to ski. You normally go you know to Switzerland or France. And it was one of the most wonderful experiences that we had, just the whole environment, the people, the the slopes are sort of really, you know, relaxed and comfortable, and uh, it's just a wonderful environment. And so the more we went, we've been going for about 15 years, the more the desire came along, and we started to say, well, wouldn't it be nice if we could just have a little apartment here that we could just come to and, you know, leave all of our things here? And uh, what started off as, you know, a conversation developed into an idea, and became a a realization it manifested and of course that's also a lot about you know what i write about is um everything starts with a thought everything starts with an idea and then you've got to just be sure that you start taking steps toward the dream that you have and so it was a dream idea conversation and so it materializes into reality exactly But again, I have to say there's a responsibility. You know, these things don't just happen. I think a lot of people, you know, say they have faith and they're waiting for something to happen. Well, you might wait your entire life long. There are um, definitely responsibilities that we have to to work towards the things that we want. Um, Perspective is everything. And you actually quote, gee, how do I say, is it Uta Heidloff? Heidloff, yes. Said perspective is everything. I, I agree. Context is another word. I don't know if there's a difference between the word context and perspective. It's almost the same same word, yes. but how do you interpret the statement? You know, perspective for me is how we see things and from what viewpoint. And, and that is why, you know, bringing Italy into this discussion is, is so important because 
two people can go up the same magnificent mountain, two and a half kilometers above the village below you. One person can stand and take in the beauty and be drawn in by the magnificence and the majesticness of a mountain. The other person standing next to you could be standing there fearing the height, can't wait to get back down. It's the same mountain, the same view, but two people are seeing it completely differently. And so for me, perspective is the call to come up higher, to say, let me get rid of my perceptions and let me get a right perspective on what I'm seeing, you know, what is happening in my life. Am I looking at it through the lens of, of, of my perception that doesn't feel right? Or am I able to go higher to higher perspective? So I use the mountaintop a lot because I believe when we do go higher, we're able to see with a different eye. We're able to experience with a different emotion. So for me, yes, perspective is everything. I believe that human beings look at, at things through the lens of, you know, how they perceive um, a particular situation. You know, we were talking on a, a particular um, radio station yesterday where we were talking about fear. You could have a fear of the spider, and someone might look at it and say it's not a problem at all. The fear has got nothing to do with the spider. The fear has got to do with what is going on inside of mm -hmm. you. And how do we make that shift? How do we go up higher so that we can view something, you know, differently, more to your benefit, more to your advantage? Is fear the enemy of perspective, would you say? I believe that fear is one of the things that stops us from achieving, that stops us from leading, that stops us from being everything that we were created to be. I believe fear is the enemy of our soul. And definitely, if we're looking through the, the lens of fear, our vision is going to be distorted. You're not going to be able to see the way forward. And I write a lot about this in a particular chapter in my book, Turn It Around, when I was learning to ski. And uh, we went up you know, to ski school baby slopes first and on the first day my children who had never skied before were skiing like pros why because they don't know fear and the ski instructor said that to me i'm not going to send you to the same class as the children why because they do not approach skiing with fear you on the other hand will become analytical you'll start to have a look at well you know i can't afford to break a leg so you will uh, approach the whole skiing experience differently to the way that your children will but my children were so enthusiastic after their ski class that they said to me mom you've got to come to the top of the mountain and see what it's like from there because remember i was just doing the little mm. learner slopes so we went up in the cable car magnificent view but Adrian, the very thing that I teach every single day, I was confronted with the Goliath on that mountaintop because I knew in order for me to get back to the chairlift, I needed to go down a pretty steep slope. And before I'd even set off, I had in my mind already hijacked myself. Mm. Too steep, too high, don't think I can do this, only day one of skiing. And so it became a problem. Why? Because I started to live out exactly what I was thinking. I didn't ski down that slope. I rolled down that slope. I just about injured myself. I took out an entire ski school. I mean, it was comical. Why? All because of my perception. What I perceived was going to happen before I'd even left. So the, so the, the view... The magnificence should have, could have changed your perspective, but it didn't. In fact, the fear has cropped up exactly. and turned it into a, a worst-case scenario as opposed to something that should have been positive. Exactly. And my belief in the fact that I don't think I could do this. I mean, those were exactly the words that were going on in my mind is, I don't think I can do this. 
Well, I couldn't do it because I had already instructed my mind and my body before I even started. And the longer story of it, which is interned around, is the most beautiful leadership lesson because I had decided that I was not going to ski anymore after a frightful first day and a terrible second day. Because on the second day, I had decided that I was not going to go and ski anymore. And Ernest said to me, what are you teaching the children? When things get tough, you just give up. You just quit. You're not going to do this again. Because mm. they came down in their skiing clothes and I came down in my shopping clothes. And I went back up and put on my skiing clothes. But the second day wasn't any better than the first because I was seeing it incorrectly. Until the third day. Ernest said to me, we're going to forget everything that's happened the last two days. We're going to go back to the mountaintop. I'm going to take you back to the top, and we're going to see it differently. And when I understood the principle of weight transfer, which is really what skiing is all about, suddenly I was more in control because I was the one skiing, not depending on the skis to ski me. And so I learned some profound lessons on the ski slope about perception and about leadership. Is that is that what you wanted to discuss with me, or was there more uh, leadership lessons? That was just something I wanted to touch on, but yeah. what uh, the, the leadership lesson particularly with um, Ernest saying to me, you know, he always quotes John Maxwell where he says, do you care? Can you add value to my life, and can I trust you? Now, I have just painted a very light picture mm. about those two days. Those two days were terrifying for me. Mm. Now you have to imagine on day three, I now need to go back to the mountaintop. I know Ernest cares about me. I know he can add value, but he can't ski for me. So the third thing was I was going to have to trust him. I was going to have to trust that on day three I was not going to have the same experience that I had on the two days before. And so, you know, for me, that's such a remarkable mm. way to express leadership, to come alongside somebody who may have fears, who may not believe that they can do something, who may believe that, you know, it's, it's perhaps not for this time, maybe for another time. But the mark of a leader is to care enough to come alongside, is in, to enable you to trust them, to take you down a very, very steep slope when you haven't skied before and to get you to the bottom safely. And to this day, he's a professional skier, but in my learning process, his caring for me as a skier was so evident because he stuck with me all the way. He could have gone down as many black slopes as he wanted. He just enjoyed it himself. Exactly. But he made sure that I got to the place where I became a competent skier. And for me, that was a beautiful lesson of leadership is, mm. is how do we take people to the mountaintop where they deserve to be? To enjoy the view, to celebrate what is before you, and then to competently get down a slope or get to the place of their choosing, whatever it might be in but their life. Therein is the lesson that you can't just show them the better perspective and think that will fix things. You then have to confront their fears, walk the path with them. Uh, maybe for some people, if you show them that magnificent view and a different perspective, they it will click into place and they'll just – Ski down, you know, mm -hmm. maybe here and there that can happen. But in, in essence, I guess mostly uh, we mustn't expect that sharing the vision of where we're going is enough to let people believe it or to overcome their fears and for them to, I don't know, move into action. You, you still have to walk a road with them. And then they need to know you care. Yes. There needs to be trust and respect and all those things that you mentioned. 
I love that because the interesting thing was the ski instructor who struggled to speak English was telling me to look at what he was doing and then follow. But he never taught me the principle. And so the point you're making is so powerfully valid because in looking at what he was doing didn't help me at all. And I think often as leaders, we you know we say we're going to show you the way. Well, we're not going to learn anything just by watching. We're going to learn when they really take an invested interest in us and care enough to say, where are you in your life? You know, mm. What is it that is, is in your life that could be preventing you from being the very best you that you can be? What is it? You know, the incredible thing about this story is had Ernest not invested in me on that mountain slope, we probably would not be um, have a home in Italy today because what would have been the purpose of going back year after year? Hmm. So one decision can transform your life dramatically. And, uh, you know, I think in our businesses, we are so busy leading that we actually forget to care. We forget to invest. We forget to take that time to say, how can I bring somebody through to their full potential? And we know the mentoring process takes time. We know it takes effort. We know it takes energy. But I know I'm, I'm the better for it. I've had many mentors in my life that are not just, you know, titled mentor, but really have come alongside me. And that's why I say success is not a single achievement. It's not achieved on your own. It's the people who've cared enough to bend down low enough for you to get on their shoulders so that you can stand up and be at the place that you deserve to be. But we don't, uh, yeah, I mean, leaders are under pressure to deliver short term. And and their, their diaries, let's look at a typical CEO of a large listed company, their diaries are booked hour by hour, year in advance sometimes. And they're so much under pressure that theoretically to expect of them to care and give time and energy and coach and um, seems to be far divorced from the reality of needing to do that. Mm-hmm. Also, the tough guy who doesn't care. You know, there's a lot of barriers to to the need to implement what you're mm-hmm. saying in the real tough, mm-hmm. pressureful corporate environment. A lot of leaders seem to understand that theoretically in their minds. They read this stuff. They learn it maybe when they go on courses or in coaching sessions. Or, But in reality, what matters, the results, the movement, and let's get things done. So it's not easy, I guess. It's not easy, but I, you see, I really believe that this is where leadership is a lifestyle. Because, yes, we're all under time pressure. Yes, we've all got to perform. Yes, we've all got to deliver. But if we embrace the the whole principle of if I'm going to have successes that come after me, best I invest in them now, best I bring them alongside me now, best I make this form of leadership a lifestyle. Mm. So I'm not saying that you have to spend four hours a day investing in one individual, but even in the meetings you have with, with everybody is, is a top of mind to be mindful of where your people are and what station they're at in life. Why? Because if in a business we want a healthy business, we want a good culture in the business, you know, people don't care how much we know. We can tell them we're brilliant leaders. What they really want to know is how much do you really care? Because if you care about me, you are going to bring me alongside you. You are going to invest in me. Now, not everybody is open to this level of mentoring. Not everybody, you know, some people are just getting on with life and, and that's fine. But there definitely are people in organizations who need 
that depth of coaching mm. and who've got the potential. You know, I don't believe if Ernest didn't see the potential in me and thought, you know, this woman's never going to ski, maybe it would have been a different story. But he saw the potential. And I think that's the mark of a leader is how do we identify those people with potential and say, you know what, there's potential succession planning here and I'm going to invest in you. I'm going to bring you in wherever I can. I'm going to mentor you, coach, impart the things that I've learned about life and business into you. I don't know where I would be if it wasn't for those people mm. who has who have built into my life. Wonderful metaphor. I, I think practically how needed it is. And then I also think very often when you employ at the highest levels, you expect you must know your job. I'm employing you as the national engineering executive or the national this or the CFO. You must just know what you're doing so i don't actually as the ceo of this global company or international company i don't have the time to sit and coach mm. you or care too much about you get on with the job yes and report back to me that that independent functioning but we mustn't miss the fact that it doesn't matter what level you're at you still want to be accepted you want that caring you want that trust mm. you want that respect um and maybe it's more needed at, at some high levels than it is at more junior levels. I, I don't know. I'm, I'm just throwing it out there. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I, of course, um, the skills must be there. There's, there's no doubt in my mind. Um, you know, companies need to perform. They need to produce. They need to create profit. We, we know all of that. But I, I believe we are in danger of forgetting the human factor. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we're only as successful as our people are. Um, and so if, if we're not going to make that investment now, what are we going to be left with uh, at the end of, of it all? And for me, I, I just believe that the, the more you can enrich your people, the more you can uh, reflect what they can be. And, you know, that can be done in a, in a day-to-day situation. I've been married to an executive for years. I've watched him operate. And first and foremost, it is about the people. Um, because if it's not about the people, I, I think we're going to see more depression, more people taking time mm. off work, more nervous breakdowns, you know, uh, because the pressure is just too great and nobody even knows I'm alive. I'm expected to perform, but nobody actually even cares that I have a family, that I have some crises in my life, that, you know, perhaps, as in my case, there was a past um, that could have been very detrimental in any situation. And so we need we need to be able to um, have a different perspective on the people that are working for us. That's a, I was with Adrian Gore the other day. We were talking about the, the Global Leadership Platform app and where we wanted to evolve to and talking about partnerships. And as you know, as a medical aid company, well, they're more than that now, mm-hmm. whole financial institution. But, but the link that they've made between health and and um, exercise, you know, uh, th- that sort of link. And I was trying to make a link between leadership and health. So imagine how much healthier our people would be from a stress point of view, from stress-related illnesses, and much more if we could improve leadership. If somehow we could increase the awareness of authentic leadership, mm-hmm. if we could get more quality leaders out there, we would have a very different Scenario in terms of health, and, and you kind of touched on it now. I want us to go to you've got an, an acronym around the role that time plays in this change process. But before we go there, perspective. I'm sitting here thinking, how do you change someone's perspective? I had an experience very recently where somehow in my mind I wondered how I would change life or change my life. What would I do differently if I could see 
my life through the perspective of my brother who's passed away. So at 21, he died in a motor car accident. He's sitting in another place. Okay, I believe I know where. Mm-hmm. If I could see my life through his eyes, how would that change my perspective of the decisions I make, how I live, what's important to me, what's mm-hmm. not important, the value of family, the value of simple, small things. And that had an impact on me. I wrote it in my journal mm-hmm. last night, in fact. So, so that personal experience changed my perspective. Will it last a day, a week, a month, a year? I don't know. We need lots of those perspective-changing experiences. But I, I wonder what – if I see that your perspective currently is just tunnel vision, your life is like this as an employee, how do I change? Sometimes showing people the top of the mountain mm-hmm. will change it. Showing yes. them someone who's got a worse situation than what you have. And then you realize, gee, I'm not so bad off. We must, as leaders, find ways to help people on their journey to change their perspective. It takes time. It takes effort. It takes caring. Mm-hmm. Um, it does. Anyway, so just comment yes. on that. And, and then you want to add more value on the, on the health component when it comes to leadership. I'll go to your first question. And that is, you know, I, I really believe that to shift a perspective, we need to reflect. Uh, you know, life gives us clues along the way. And we we touched on health, and this is really where I want to, to bring in the well-being. If your life is giving you clues that your health is under pressure, you know, it doesn't matter how talented a leader you may be. If you don't have health and well-being, you can't give what you don't have. And so we need to reflect. We need to just get off the hamster wheel for a while and say, what is going on in my life that is making me feel frustrated, that is making me feel less than healthy? Why am I feeling anxious? Why am I feeling that, you know, I know I've got the ability, I know I've got the skill, but I'm just not quite delivering. And I believe in the busyness of the world. One of the chapters in my book was called Rushing Everywhere, Going Nowhere. That's the society we live in today. We, we rush from morning to night. No doubt technology's got a place, you know, uh, in all of this, um, but sometimes it has a detrimental hold on our lives. I write about it that many people roll over in bed in the morning, and the first thing they do is they grab their device before they've even greeted their spouse, before they've even known that they're awake, um, you know. The, the device is there and they're reading the horror news from around the world. Well, you do that long enough and something has got to be impacted in your internal environment because all you're lending your ears to is the negative, the drama, the chaos, what is happening, the world is falling in. Now you've got to get to the workplace and now you're the leader, you're the CEO. You have now got to go and inspire these people and lead these people mm. and take them to the vision. And so, you know, if you're not feeling that, it's very, very difficult to to inspire others if you don't feel inspired yourself but you've got you know goals that you've got to meet and numbers that have got to be uh, met and so it just becomes a vicious cycle and that's where I say the the hamster wheel has got to just be exited for a while we've got to go away and reflect like you did through your, the eyes of your brother and just say what needs to shift in me what needs to be changed what are the clues that i'm being given that i'm you know just not giving my life the right order of priority that it is right now do you know how sad it is for me particularly in in our circle how many really successful and i'm going to stop there and say successful being seen by a title by the money that's been made by the size of the company how many couples we know 
who have attained that level of so-called success, but their marriages are falling apart. Mm. Their health is in absolute shreds. They've worked all of these years to create a level of wealth. Now they can retire so-called, you know, in their early 50s or whatever it might be, but they have no health. Mm. And I look at this and I think this is nonsensical leadership. Mm. It's, it just, to me, is not leadership. Really what it is, is reaching a goal, uh, making sure that everybody does what they, they, I'm not interested in your personal problems, I'm not interested in your growth, just deliver. Well, we can go that way, but, you know, and many people do, but what is going to be the long-term result? And so for me, it's about reflecting. It's about every mm. day, really, I believe, and I do this, I hold myself very accountable to this, is just stop one day a week. For me, it's a Sunday because that's just the day that, you know, mm. not much uh, I can choose that not much happens on a Sunday. I put away technology. I put away everything else. And I just take time to reflect. to reflect what is working, what is not working. What do I need more of? What do I need less of? Why? Because I'm in this for the long haul. I don't want a short success, you know, that that terminates in ill health. See, that's the challenge leaders face is the, the pressure. Mm-hmm. Life is not going to offer you reflecting moments on a plate. If it does, it's going to be in the middle of crisis. So, so what, what I think happens is if I'm not finding time to reflect, suddenly I'll have a heart attack and I'll lie in hospital for weeks and then I'll find time to reflect. Mm-hmm. Or uh, um, marriage comes tumbling down and then uh, I, I'm forced to reflect. So life will sometimes force you to reflect, but it's, it's very re- it's very reactive then mm-hmm. as opposed to proactive yes. reflecting. And that's fine. Um, but don't let life correct you. Usually it's a long uphill battle back then as opposed to very proactive reflecting, if that makes sense. And that can change your perspective. Crisis, yes. loss of life, loss of health, loss mm-hmm. of uh, business. Uh, those things change perspective very quickly. That's what's so difficult to get someone who's doing well. Life is sending all these or society is sending you all these signals that we're successful. Look, we're a couple, we've, we're early 50s, we can retire, we have holiday homes and farms and everything. Uh, to, to then proactively sit and reflect and change how you're doing things is difficult. Mm-hmm. Things are going well, so why must I change? As opposed to having a heart attack and then you have to, a near-death experience. So that can be quite a, quite a challenge. And may it never be that. And that's why I believe that you need to watch the early clues. Yes. Because the clues in our life give us the cue to do something different. Yeah. And, and here's the thing, Adrian, is that uh, it's not going to be handed to you on a plate. Mm. Because time is what presses all of us. So, but we need to be equipped enough, strong enough, decisive enough to create the time. You know, um, I, I, I believe in a sense it's inexcusable for... A person who is in business to say, well, you know, I'm not even going to give a Saturday or a Sunday to my family. Well, you you know, divorce doesn't happen overnight. <laughs> it's a series of actions that are taken. And and relationships for me are key. Mm. Um, so, you know, whether it's it's situations at home, whether it's with the children, we've got to get our priorities right. And And I think that we have to ask ourselves the question, what is important to me? What yeah. is important? And you know what? If for one person, absolute success at any cost is important to them, well, then that's what you're going to get. And you can't look at the casualties along the way then. Then that's your choice. Mm. Then that's what you must go and do. But if you do have 
the power of choice, which we all do. None of us can say we don't have the freedom to choose, even if the things are pressed, even if time is, you know, getting compressed by the day. All of us have the freedom to choose. Time. Okay. Um, What role does time play in this process of change? You've got this acronym called TURN, and that's TURN IT AROUND. Mm Mm-hmm. Quickly take us through that. Well, because if you look at the T-U-R-N, it's time you really need. You know, we're not facing competition. T-U-R-N, time you you really really need. need, If you just use the U for the U. Um, You know, yes, we may be facing competition. Yes, we may be facing a lot of things in the world. I mean, we are living in times, and you and I have discussed this so many times before, we are living in chaotic times. We are living in times that I, I don't think many of us thought we would get to this quickly, but we're living in very interesting times and largely because of a lack of leadership, which is why we're having this discussion. If new leaders don't arise with new mindsets and new ways of thinking in government, in business, in relationships, you know, the world's in for a very interesting time ahead. So in this process of time, which every single one of us only have 24 hours a day. There is nobody, uh, not a Donald Trump, not the street cleaner, nobody can say, I have more time than somebody else, or I have less time than somebody else. So it's time that we really need. It's that that we should be focusing on to say, how do I give the best of myself in those 24 hours without risk, without cost to my health, without, you know, doing myself an injury? I have, I know some people who are working 18, 19 hours a day. Well, sooner or later, you're going to get the clue that that can't be good for you. What if they say, I, I love what I'm doing, so I'm happy? Yes. Well, they may be happy now, but I do think that leadership and wisdom have got to go hand in hand. You know, yes, we have very strong bodies. Yes, we have very strong minds, but they also need to be taken care of. They need to be nurtured. Are we getting the exercise that we need? Are we spending connected time with our loved ones? Are we, you know, somebody shared something with me yesterday and they they said they were so in such a hurry to go and do something that in the frenetic moment, she didn't look at where she was going. She was at a function and fell. And now she has broken her foot. You can imagine now that pressure of not being able to walk without crutches, the pressure that that is putting on her business, her life, her family. And so, you know, hence the rushing everywhere, going nowhere is really what most of us are doing every single day. We've got to start looking at leadership through eyes of priority. Mm. You know. I, I want us to touch on energy. Um, Harness your energy for good. Can we talk about that? Because one thing I do see about so-called successful people, even happy people, energy. They've got an energy level. But uh, what's your perspective on that? Well, you know, the the world is powered by energy. Everything has energy in it. Mm. Uh, It's just what we do with with that energy, which again links to time and again links to, to our priorities. But so much of what we're seeing in the world today is wonderful, powerful energy that is being leaked for negative purposes. I think social media is a wonderful tool in our hands today, but how much of it is wasted on stuff that is of not any benefit to anyone? Um, and and I would love to see in people's reflective times is how can I harness my energy for good? Mm. How can I take the energy that I've been given, mental energy, emotional energy, physical energy, and really harness it 
for good. How can I bring structure into that which I do every single day so that it's not just a running from morning to, to night, but you know, when I meet someone, am I leaving them in a better place than when I found them? And you see, we as leaders can do that every single moment of every day. Yeah. I, I really believe it comes back to the perspective of, of leadership, Adrian, where, you know, when we walk around our offices, who do we really think we are? You know, do we think everyone should just jump at our command or are we able to harness that energy, build into somebody's life, teach them as we go, let them be, you know, inspired by not, I'm not saying spend 10 minutes at their desk. I'm not saying that at all. But just by your presence, because you have a different way of thinking. You, you are harnessing your energy for good. Yes, there are tough conversations that need to be had in business. Yes, there are tough approaches that need to be taken. We know that. We know that that just comes with, with business. Mm. But how can we, even in that, turn it for good? So I believe that harnessing your energy for good is looking at every situation to say, how can I turn it around so it can be better than it was before? Mm. And let's be very careful how we use our words, because that is one sure way that Mm. we leak our power. And what we wonder why we feel defeated and depleted and negative and we've got no energy. Well, often it's what we're seeing. It's what we're hearing and what we're saying. And, you know, I'm all for confrontation. I believe that, you know, those, those positive confrontations need to take place. But even in that, we can still do it with a good energy. Yeah, you've got that good energy. Ernest has that good energy, hey. Yes, and, um, and you know, it wasn't always that way. And I think that's the key, is a lot of people listening today might say, well, that's just not my personality. Well, you know, um, I have lived with, with Ernest for 25 years. And uh, as, my, as my husband, I have seen phenomenal change take place because he was a leader that just, you know, he was focused, he was going, and he was not interested in excuses. He was not interested in anything else, just produce. And I've watched over time as he's really embraced a new kind of normal in, in his leadership uh, where he's just it's become such a natural part of, of who he is because he's understood that it's not just about delivering the results. Hmm. It's about dealing with the people and they deliver the results. Yeah, it's a certain energy. I mean, the, the, the previous life was a certain energy, wasn't it? Deliver, go, movement, yes. make it happen. Exactly. Now there's a different energy and mm-hmm. sort of enhanced or channeled towards people, yes. um, giving them energy. One of the chapters in your book is about leadership, uh, is about wisdom. Yes. Um, and it has the advantage of bringing success. Yes. I That's mean, one wisdom. of my favorite The chapters. world misses wisdom, <laughs> yes. doesn't it? I and mean, we've got a lot of knowledge, yes. a lot of information uh, at our fingertips like never before. But what's missing is wisdom, perhaps. Yes. And what is wisdom? You see, knowledge is available freely. We have knowledge bombarding us every single day. And knowledge is great. But wisdom is how do I apply the knowledge in the right manner? That's what wisdom is. So for me, right living and wisdom go hand in hand. And wisdom does have the advantage of bringing success. Because if you apply wisdom to any situation, it gives you a different outcome. But again, it takes thoughtfulness. It takes reflecting. And it takes moving yourself away from a situation and saying, how can I approach this situation differently? You know, the wisest man to have ever lived. So we believe is Solomon, and he made a profound statement. He said, the duller the axe, the harder the work. Yeah. The more brains, the less muscle. 
And, you know, it was Abraham Lincoln who said, give me six hours to chop down a tree and I'll spend the first hour sharpening my axe. And that for me is a call to high leadership perspective. You see, we can go in there and we can blunder away and we can chop everything that is in our way, standing in our way, even chop into the results that we want to achieve in our businesses. But just imagine if we applied the wisdom of the first hour. Let me reflect. Let me really get a good understanding of what I'm confronted with here. What needs to be done strategically in this situation? And let me apply wisdom to it. And so we need to sharpen our axes. Mm. And that takes thoughtful reflection. That go, means going up to a higher level of perspective. Angelique, the next few years, you've got to turn it around. The book is now out on the shelves. People can go get it where? At, at all leading bookstores and online. Um, all of the bookstores are carrying it. And uh, the next few years, Adrian, I I really believe I've got many more books in me. Um, I'm really a student of life. Um, I love watching human behavior. I learn a lot from human behavior. I love traveling, and I have learned so much about just being aware. You know, for me, awareness and wisdom go go hand in hand, and uh, I I love to learn from from people. Um, so that will continue. That will absolutely continue. Um, I love to see people inspired. I love to see people motivated. And nothing gives me more satisfaction than seeing a life who believes that they can't and watching them turn it around to know that they absolutely can. Mm. And uh, it's really just to impart my life journey with so others. You, you obviously will spend time talking, um, giving yes. talks, call it motivational talks. Yes. Uh, what else do you do then? And you write the books, you travel, you learn. Uh, Ernest is now in a new phase of his his life. You guys built yes. Anik into a great business or greater than, than it was. Um, but you're in the next phase uh, in, in a way and you support each other hugely. Yes. Um, yeah, so so um, your message to leaders is what? In short, if you had a whole audience of 100 CEOs of the top organizations on the JSE mm-hmm. and they're sitting in front of us right now, what would you say to them? I would say internal transformation is the key to having external impact. It all st- starts with you and it all ends with you as a leader. You cannot give what you do not have. So the first point of departure is what do I need in my own life? <clears throat> I also think, um, Adrian, what's really important to remember as a human being, we are spirit, soul, and body. And we can't ignore any of those areas mm. of our lives. If you want to live the fullness of life, the abundance of life, which you started talking about right at the beginning, we have to know that we are spirit, soul, and body. We have a mind. We have will. We have emotions. We have a spiritual aspect to our lives. And we have a physical body that's got to carry us through. You know, you could have a leader sitting in that audience that could have extraordinary vision. He could see way into the future. But if he doesn't have a sense of well-being, that that dream is never going to materialize. And so it's got to start from within. Yes, there are many demands on you as a leader. Yes, there are many people that are counting on you. Yes, as a leader of an organization, there are people whose bread and butter will be dependent on your decisions that you're going to make. We owe it to the people that we're leading to be the very best version of ourselves that we can be. And that means keeping ourselves accountable, holding ourselves responsible, making sure our relationships are given the attention that they they need. What does it matter? 
If you've turned out a magnificent organization, but your home life is in shambles, your health is, you know, really giving you clues that it's time to do something different. And so if you really want to finish strong, you've got to start strong and you've got to start from the inside. And if you live that kind of life or you do your best to do so and you have a genetic disposition and you have a heart attack, well, you'll handle it better. You'll absorb it better. Um, uh, it'll be part of a test and it'll help you grow further as a human being as opposed to if you don't have that abundant lifestyle and that knocks you from blind angle then it just totally throws you off so mm-hmm. so we're not going to stop having challenges yes. health business um, relationship challenges if we focus on these principles that you talk about and that are in your books but surely you're going to take it in your stride better you're going to go through them with more peace in your life mm-hmm. and 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 more happiness and joy but they'll be there yes. they will be there because with movement comes resistance and that's just yes. life and it is indeed but you know the other thing i think that is is so crucial for us to remember is that we may live live with the title of leadership but how many genuine followers do we really have and people only follow people because they, they can learn something from them and mm. they can grow through having an association with them. And I believe as leaders, it's time for us to look in the mirror and say, who am I really and who am I becoming? Because I am responsible. If I carry the title of leadership, I am responsible for the people who are coming up behind me. And I think there's a high call. And that's why I love your global leadership platform your focus, your strategy, because really that's what you're saying. Is you're saying, come on, guys, let's, we have an opportunity in the world to make a difference, to mm. make a change. And I think that's extraordinary because we are lacking solid, sound, believable, authentic, trusting leadership in the world today. The governments are not proving it. Many organizations, we just have to look at the lack of integrity that is happening in organizations around the world. I really believe that it's time for the leader to look in the mirror and say, who am I really? So that I can imprint and impart myself to the people who are following me to say, you know what, there can be a better future, there can be a better way, and there can be a better world. Thank you, Angelique Detoy. You're right, the Global Leadership Platform starts with a conversation. We said in the beginning of this conversation that so many dreams and wonderful outcomes start with a conversation, an idea. So the idea has now become a conversation, and we're now running this to have a global conversation on leadership to increase awareness and then to create more leadership fitness. And thank you for your contribution on that. It's the early stages, but it's exciting. We've got organizations that are coming on board, uh, but we want the public app to grow. Anyone interested in leadership or who thinks leadership is the solution to our challenges must get involved in that conversation. We wish you well with your book, your books, with your mission, your purpose, which is clear, the energy that you're um, spreading across the world, you and your husband, Ernest. And thank you for joining us on the Global Leadership Platform, and we look forward to putting this on the app as well. And certainly it will be on uh, you know, on social media all over the place. Thank you for your time. Thank you so much, Adrian, and just thank you too for the contribution you're doing to shape this nation. This is CliffCentral.com.